Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You should anticipate it being a physical and rough and tumble game because history tells us that. Um, and I think how the two teams are playing this year uh, also gives you that indication. I'll say it's the team going out there battling, but it's the cities too. Like, I feel like our fans, our city, they get the most out of it more, I, I feel, more than we do sometimes. Just because, like, it's, oh no, I can't even imagine, like, being in the stands watching us perform against them or they performing against us. It's, it's going to be a, a lights out game. <laughs> One of the great rivalries in football, a little bit greater this year. The Steelers 6-0, the Ravens 5-1. We begin this second hour of PFT Live. They get together for the first time this weekend, Peter King. I'll tell you, uh, look, I, 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 both teams are on the short list of AFC contenders, and this, this weekend isn't going to change that. It's just going to go a long way toward determining who's got the harder path to a potential Super Bowl appearance because one of these two teams is going to win the division and the other one's going to be a wild card and have to go on the road for most playoff games, if not all of them. Here's the way I kind of look at the importance of this game and how these two teams see the importance of this game. About a week ago, a little more than a week ago, Eric DaCosta, the general manager of the Baltimore Ravens, told Rick Spielman, the general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, hey, look, if we are going to get this trade for Yannick Ngakwe done, we have to get it done by, two, by Thursday during the day. That's our deadline. And Spielman is wondering, what, what is, what's that all about? And it's very clear. Eric DaCosta of the Ravens wanted to make absolutely sure that Yannick Ngakwe would be in the city limits of Baltimore on Thursday night. So at the crack of dawn on Friday, he could take his first of five consecutive days of COVID tests. And why would that be important? Because if he takes his COVID tests Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, that means when Steelers week starts in full, on Wednesday morning in Owings Mills, Maryland, Yannick Ngakwe can walk into the locker room, be a teammate, have a full week of prep so that he can just not have a little package of plays against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He can play if they deem that he should play. He could play 50 or 60 snaps in this game in this must game for the Baltimore Ravens. That is what this rivalry is about. And if he ends up starting the game, it will be his first start as a Raven against the Steelers. And frankly, Peter, one of the most shocking things about this rivalry is as of this moment, Lamar Jackson has only one career start against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It came last year at a time when the Ravens were 2-2. Two and two. They had to take the Steelers to overtime, and the Steelers didn't have Ben Roethlisberger. 
And that that was a game that could have gone either way. And it feels like that was the thing that just kind of unleashed that Ravens team that would go on to win 12 consecutive games to close out the regular season. But Lamar Jackson was not great in that game. He had 161 passing yards, but three interceptions against one touchdown, 70 rushing yards, and he was sacked five times. That's the most he's been sacked in a regular season game in his career. And now he gets the Steelers for the second time. And, you know, the Steelers, when it comes to quarterbacks who like to run the ball, they don't suffer from the problem we spoke about last hour of pulling up and going easy at the sideline. They are going to – and I remember all the way back to 2012. Remember the first time they faced RG3 and Ryan Clark said after he retired that the whole – and maybe even said it during his career – they, they were going to be as physical as possible every chance they got with RG3. And you know that they are still coaching their guys that way. They, they told them that a few weeks ago with Carson Wentz. So Lamar Jackson is going to step into a rough-and-tumble game, as Mike Tomlin said, and that's going to go a long way toward determining who wins. Look, I think one of the big things about this game, Mike, is, as you know, you know, it, 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 and it isn't that Lamar Jackson hasn't won big games. He has won big games. You know, they, he clobbered the New England Patriots last year when the Patriots were on top of the world. So don't get me wrong with what I'm about to say. But this is a big game for Lamar Jackson because he is going to get pressure put on him both in the passing game and the running game. And it's incumbent on him to make plays in both. And I'll tell you this, if I am Greg Roman in this game plan, I know that whether whatever the Ravens say, because the Ravens said, hey, listen, you know, Lamar Jackson is going to play like Lamar Jackson plays. If he runs a lot, we're not worried about him running. Well, I think that is a great thing to say publicly. Privately, they don't want Lamar Jackson running 15 times a game. They just don't, or, or even 12 times a game. But I think this Sunday... All bets are off. If Lamar Jackson has to run it 18 or 20 times this game, that is the cost of doing business against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, and this game takes on even greater importance, not just for who wins the division and who doesn't, but from the Ravens' perspective, they need this to fall as the postseason unfolds in a way that allows them ideally to avoid the Chiefs. And you got a far better chance of avoiding the Chiefs if you get a home game by winning the division. If you get the one seed and get a week off, it's still maybe inevitable that they're going to come up against their kryptonite, as Lamar Jackson characterized them. But you've got a much better chance of getting lucky and maybe someone else goes into Arrowhead Stadium and maybe the Chiefs are peeking ahead or just flat that day or whatever the case may be. Like what happened a few weeks ago when the Raiders went in and beat them. You know, when, when it's not an opponent that gets the full focus of everyone in the organization, that's when that opponent has an opportunity to beat the Chiefs. That's what the Ravens are ultimately hoping for. And if they're not, they need to be. And that's why this game's so critical. This, this should have a postseason feel because the result of this game will echo into the postseason, Peter. No question about it. And Mike, I think the one other thing to realize about this game is that these two teams are going to play again in three weeks. You know, they play on Thanksgiving night on NBC. And in that little sort of, not, not a quick turnaround, but close proximity of these games, I think what it does is that it really sort of collapses the, the, the huge and meaningful games into this short window. And if you look at the rest of the season, if I was both the Steelers and the Ravens, I'd be very happy about that. Because the last thing I want to do is play your absolute blood arch rival on January 3rd and then have to play perhaps uh, a postseason game the following week, maybe even on the road. And you probably would have to play it on the road. But I look at it like the schedule makers almost did these two teams a favor. You know, the Ravens coming out of their bye, they're well-rested for this first game. And look, it's not great for the Steelers because they had a very physical game and a disappointing game to, in the eyes of some when they went to Tennessee and survived. I talked to T.J. Watt Sunday night. He was all bummed out because 
he thought they gave up too much on defense. But I think this is really a good opportunity for both teams. I think they'll probably split it, Mike. They're both so good. But I think it's good for both of them that they are through with this sort of the bloodlust games by December 1st. <laughs> and and let me echo a point that I always make about week one of the season. Week one, I say that the outcome of the game doesn't matter unless you lose at home to a division rival because you have to go there later. And if you get swept, chances of winning the division go down dramatically. And consider where they are right now, 6-0, and 5-1. and one. Steelers get the advantage in Baltimore, 7-0, and 5-2. and two. You got a two-game spread, plus the Steelers already hold the tiebreaker. If the Steelers would win Thanksgiving night at home, complete the sweep, guarantee the tiebreaker, have a three-game lead in the standings if they otherwise both win their games, you're not making that up the rest of the way because you have to first right. catch them, then finish one game ahead of them. There aren't enough games in a season to do that when you're chasing a great team like the Steelers. Peter, look at the Steelers' schedule. They're going 13-3 and this year, barring some sort of a collapse. The track they're on, minimum 13-3. and and if they could steal this one, and that was not an intended pun, and I even groaned thinking about the accidental pun, but if they can steal this one on Sunday in Baltimore, they are in excellent, excellent shape to win the division and possibly to end up being the one seed in the AFC. Well, you're right about that. I think one of the great things about the schedule this year is that it has allowed for multiple teams to have a real legitimate opportunity to be that one seed. Tennessee is still in the ballgame because of the relative weakness of the AFC South. Uh, obviously, Kansas City is very much in it. Even though Kansas City has a tough schedule and a lot of tough games down the stretch. And I think, obviously, if Pittsburgh wins this week, I, I will, I'll say this. I think if Pittsburgh wins this week, looking at the comparative schedules, hard for me to imagine how they're not going to be the one seed winning at Baltimore with the second game being in Pittsburgh. And look, I said I thought they would split. I think they'll split. But boy, if the Steelers win this week, I, I think it's going to be really, really hard, obviously, for Baltimore not only to catch them, but to pass them to be the one seed in the AFC. In the NFC West last year, the one seed came all the way down to Week 17, the final drive in Seattle. The Seahawks had chances which would have relegated the 49ers to the five seed. They get together in Seattle again this weekend. No fans will be there. 12th man, not a factor for the Seahawks this year. But the 49ers surging two straight wins after getting embarrassed at home by the Miami Dolphins. Seahawks lost their first game of the year on Sunday night. That epic classic overtime, 69 minutes and 45 seconds against the Cardinals. Let's first hear from Brian Schottenheimer, the offensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks, on this year's concept in Seattle of letting Russ cook. Here he is. It was certainly something that we heard, we talked about. You guys asked about it quite a bit. Um, it, it, it's just kind of the way we're playing right now. We're playing with a lot of confidence, throwing the football. We're still running the ball really, really well. Um, I mean, I don't think we think we're going to go into Arizona and rush for 200 yards against them, um, but we do. And so, um, you know, the term is fun. The term is catchy. Fans love to talk about it. But uh, I literally don't sit up there in the, in the staff room with the staff, and we don't put on a chef's hat, and we don't pull out our recipe books and be like, hey, it'll cook on this one. I mean, we don't do that, you know? We just come up with the best plays we can come up with. And uh, some of them work, you know? Um, and some of them don't. And uh, he's playing with a lot of confidence right now. And, 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 you know, we knew at some point we might lose a game. And you know what? We did lose a game. And uh, if anything, it motivated us to get back to work. But um, I think it's fun for the fans. I think it's fun for people to talk about. But at the end of the day, we want to win. And uh, if that takes us not letting Russ cook, okay, we'll do that too. If we think we got to let Russ cook or that's the way the game unfolds and uh, we'll be pulling out our recipe books and, and uh, mixing all the different ingredients and seeing how it tastes. You know, the, the most telling thing he said there, Peter, was they're coming up with the best plays they can to get the most out of the offense. That's how Russ cooks. That's the deviation from the past that Russell Wilson desperately wanted. He wanted there to be creativity. He didn't want it to be, let's run the ball, let's run the ball, let's run the ball, 
and let's try to have a controlled game plan and rely on our defense. And then if we're down by one or more scores in the fourth quarter, I have to come in and try to save the day. They wanted to see Wilson and his camp wanted to see that that effort to come up with plays that take advantage of the fact that he's one of the best quarterbacks in football. And finally, after eight years, they're doing that. And he's getting to show that he belongs in that conversation with the best in the game. Look, you know, the Seattle Seahawks are averaging 34 points a game. Russell Wilson is on pace for the first time in his career to throw for 4,500 yards and to throw for, you know, whatever, 48 or 50 touchdowns. So, you know, Mike, I, I, I look at last week, the bizarre, ridiculous, incredible, most entertaining game of this season the loss at Arizona. And I just say, you know, that is really honestly the cost of doing business. When your defense isn't that good and when you have an absolutely electric quarterback who occasionally is going to throw an interception. But, you know, the one thing I look at right now this season, if I look at the Seattle Seahawks, as you look at right now on your screen, the defensive ranks of the Seahawks, I look at, at some point soon, they are going to have a new run stuffer in Snacks Harrison, uh, who's getting ready to play in Seattle, who's been signed. They are going to have Jamal Adams back to anchor the secondary. And they're going to get Carlos Dunlop probably starting next week to be able to rush the passer a little bit better. And, and so those are three important elements to making sure that Russell Wilson doesn't have to put up 36 a game for them to be able to win every game down the stretch. It's like, Mike, if I am doing the NFL hierarchy right now, okay, there's nobody who I would be more afraid of facing as an offense right now today than the Seattle Seahawks because Russell Wilson is, you know, is so dangerous in, in multiple ways. But I'd think I could beat him because if I got a pretty good offense, I get a good chance of scoring 30. Well, enjoy that while you can. I don't know if you're going to be able to be saying that in two or three weeks. Well, and, and that's the most immediate challenge for the Seahawks with that defense that's still overmatched, with Jamal Adams still out of practice nearly five weeks from when he suffered the groin strain against the Cowboys. The 49ers bring in that creative offense that can run from every position on the field. Now, they're down a lot of tailbacks. They're down to basically Jarek McKinnon and Jamichael Hasty, unless they can get Tevin Coleman activated this weekend. But that's going to be the challenge. Doesn't who's going to stop who? But who's going to stop? But, but the 40, we saw what the 49ers offense did against New England last week with that running game. Can the Seahawks stop that 49ers running game and passing no. game as needed? So, so what's it going to be? It's going to be, is it going to be a shootout? Is it going to be one team running the ball, one team throwing the ball, and it's going to be 41-38? Look, here's, here's the way the 49ers, I think, are going to play this game. You know, and I've told this story before, but, you know, when the New York Giants were getting ready to play the Super Bowl in January of 1991 against the Buffalo Bills, the Giants had just survived uh, beating the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game. 15 to 13, where the Buffalo Bills were the most powerful offense in recent years in the NFL. They beat the Raiders 51 to 3 in the AFC title game. So after the Giants finished winning at San Francisco, Bill Parcells gets on the bus and he looks at Ron Earhart, his offensive coordinator, and he says, shorten the game. So what do the Giants do? They possess the ball for 41 minutes against the uh, Buffalo Bills. And they win an absolute stunner in that Super Bowl when Scott Norwood misses wide right with the field goal. What I'm saying is Kyle Shanahan, in my opinion, I mean, everybody, all I can say is this. Everybody on Sunday night is going to know who Jamichael Hasty is, okay? Because in my opinion anyway, Jamichael Hasty is the latest in the long stable of running backs that Bobby Turner, who nobody in America knows, but everybody should know. He's the one who got Terrell Davis, you know, to have the opportunities enough to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The longtime running backs coach for Mike Shanahan is now Kyle Shanahan's coach. 
and I don't care. You put in any running back in that situation. You know what Jimmy Garoppolo told me after the New England game? He said, you know, they're way ahead. It's late in the game. It's in the fourth quarter. And Bobby Turner is coaching Jermichael Hasty down the stretch of that game, which has long since been decided. Like it's early in the first quarter, and this is the most important carry of his career. So Bobby Turner will have Jermichael Hasty ready if he needs to carry it 23 times on Sunday. Hey, and let's flip that around as well. This is worth pointing out. Rookie DJ Dallas from Miami, fourth-round draft pick of the Seahawks. He's the only tailback who practiced yesterday for Seattle. All the others did not practice due to injury. So it could be Jamichael Hasty, DJ Dallas having a major <laughs> impact on the outcome of this game. But, you know, you're right, Peter. When you've got a high-octane offense on the other side of the ball, the best thing you can do is keep them on the sidelines and, and we don't see that enough, but the 49ers have the offense that's constructed to do that with long, methodical drives and milk the clock and just keep Russell Wilson frustrated. So when he is on the field, maybe he presses a little bit. And, you know, DK Metcalf last week was, was other than the great play against Buda Baker, which was one of the all-time great offensive player becomes defensive player moments in NFL history, where was DK Metcalf? He had the potential game-winning touchdown called back by a holding penalty, which was a legitimate holding call. It wasn't a ticky-tack thing, but they got to get the ball more to DK Metcalf if they want to beat the 49ers, don't they? I think so, and I'm sure that they know that looking back at the game tape. But, you know, Mike, we wouldn't be saying anything about DK Metcalf and his offensive play if the holding you know, call hadn't happened. And it's, it's interesting. I watched that game back again yesterday, in part because I wanted to watch the DK Metcalf play 100 times more. <laughs> but I also just wanted to see. It was such a crazy game. I wanted to get in my head exactly how it ended. And you're right. DK Metcalf, that was absolutely unequivocally a holding call on that. My question is, if the hole hadn't been made, would DK Metcalf been able to get through the traffic and have been able to score the touchdown. And even if he didn't score, obviously they're about 25 yards to the better than, you know, getting the play nullified and then getting the penalty. So, you know, to me, that was, you know, the play of the game, you know, when that interference, that uh, hold was called. But, you know, I don't know, Mike, I look at it and Seattle has won a bunch of games like that this year where they were the last team standing, you know, against Minnesota, uh, you know, where they, where they won. And against, you know, the, 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 the Patriots game where they stopped Cam Newton at the two-yard line on the last play. And so, you know, Seattle, I, I'm, nobody should cry for Seattle, you know, because they're 5-1. and one. And, oh, my God, they're not going to go undefeated or whatever. They weren't going undefeated anywhere. Their defense is just not good enough. Yeah, they live dangerously, and it works out for them until it doesn't, and it didn't on Sunday night. We'll see if it does on Sunday afternoon against the 49ers. Saints and Bears getting together in Chicago. The Bears actually have the better record at 5-2. and two. They've played one more game. The Saints have had their bye. But that offense for the Chicago Bears has been abysmal. Matt Nagy, the head coach of the team, was beside himself after Monday night's loss to the Rams. He was distressed by the fact that the defense of the Bears scored more points than the offense of the Bears. It was seven for the defense, three for the offense. No offensive touchdowns last week. Nick Foles not looking very good at all right now. I just wonder how this one is going to play out for him specifically because he doesn't have enough time to set up and throw. There was that strange dispute question whatever that emerged when Brian Greasy yeah. was filling garbage time on Monday night relating a story from Nick Foles that sounds like Nick Foles was grousing a bit about some of these play calls requiring him to hold the ball too long and he doesn't have time to do it because the offensive line stinks and here come the Saints who don't have a dominant defense but they're good enough every defense in this league right now is good enough to put heat on the Bears because their offensive line isn't any good and how do you make it any better on the fly I don't know what you can do, and I think that's kind of where the Bears are right now. They don't know what the hell to do, Peter. Yeah, I agree, Mike. This, this in no way is it to the level of the 2000 Baltimore Ravens where the offense with Trent Dilfer playing quarterback and no weapons was absolutely putrid. 
and the defense was state of the art. And remember how they had to they had to have all these meetings and Brian Billick had to call on Ray Lewis and and all the leaders on the defense. Hey, listen, you know, uh, make sure that nobody criticizes the offense publicly. I mean, again, the 2020 Chicago Bears are not the 2000 Baltimore Ravens, but I'm starting to get the vibe that there have to be guys on that defense who finish playing a masterful game and at the end of the day walk into the locker room and say, are you bleeping kidding me? So I think that's something that Matt Nagy has to be careful about. It was just a few weeks ago that Matt Nagy developed a gut feeling to switch from Mitch Trubisky to Nick Foles during a game that they were losing by 16 points in the second half against the Falcons, and it worked. But you know what? Nick Foles hasn't been great since then. Yes, they haven't lost every game, and they are 5-2, and two, but, but you have to wonder whether it's getting to the point where Nagy's thinking – Maybe we have to try something different. And if guys in the locker room are grousing, at some point what they're going to say is, why the hell don't we give Trubisky another try? What We can't be any worse. We can't score fewer than zero offensive touchdowns. Do you think that could happen in this game? Maybe second half? Maybe if they're sputtering a little Trubisky action? I mean, if that happens... You might as well throw the, you know, the white flag on the season. Throw the towel. I mean, throw the damn towel. I mean, really, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine that anybody on that defense is thinking put in Trubisky. Mike, they practiced against him now for three years. They know Mitch Trubisky, and you know he's not. He's a nice guy. He's really, he's a really, really good person. Um, but. You know, he's had very, very few moments that show you, hey, let's put Trubisky in. He'll save our season. You remind me of Lloyd Benson there for a second. I've practiced with Mitch Trubisky. I know Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> Mitch Trubisky. And you, sir, are no <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> All right, let's, let's take a break. We'll get through more of the Sunday games. Le'Veon Bell getting a shot at revenge at the worst team that the NFL has seen in years. Plus plenty more. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after. You can't take these games for granted. That's a very good football team. Sam Darnold, um, he doesn't get the credit, but he's a very, very good quarterback. And um, I think people tend to forget that because of their record. But they have guys out there, and they, they play really well. They've been in a lot of close games. You can't take those guys for granted. They're, they're, that's a hell of a football team. <laughs> wow he actually he actually delivered that with a straight face i had seen the words i hadn't seen the delivery i thought maybe there was going to be a little devilish glint in the eye that's actually lou holtz would be impressed by that he did everything but say they put their pants on same way we do look um you know here's kind of when i when i first saw that i just i opened up my column for monday uh and i have a little file on my laptop mic i opened up my column for monday and i inserted that as one of my quotes of the week and i had a comment below it and he said and i said this is exactly the reason why 68.53 percent of all pre-game player comments should be absolutely totally flush down the garbage heap of humanity <laughs> or whatever. I mean, you know, they're so incredibly meaningless and I, I don't know what else to, how else to describe them, but uh, you know, the Jets in the last three weeks with the great Sam Darnold, I uh, have scored a total of 20 points. And so um, I rest my case counselor. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we will, bring something more than the meaninglessness of that comment to this segment as we go speed round week eight and let's start with that Jets Chiefs game Le'Veon Bell dumped by the Jets picked up by the Chiefs played last week six carries 39 yards against the Broncos Le'Veon Bell will most definitely what versus the Jets ball out <laughs> just because I'm sure that Andy Reid is going to give him plenty of opportunities to both carry the ball and touch the ball in this game. I bet he gets 15 touches. 
And look, there's no question whatsoever. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the second leading uh, rusher in football right now. But I think this Sunday is going to be uh, Le'Veon Bell's day uh, for Kansas City. I agree with you. The other way around, though, the, the, the ultimate irony would be if he pulls a hamstring against the Jets because, as we know, there's nothing wrong with his hamstrings. All right, after lighting up the Browns, Joe Burrow will what against the Titans? I think Joe Burrow will play a good game into the fourth quarter after getting beat up like a rag doll. Um, yeah. Look, Joe Burrow has shown uh, over and over and over again that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to have a chance in every game that he plays. So I don't think this will be a route. I think he'll play competitively. The Bengals will score somewhere in the 20s, and they'll lose the game. But they'll be a, they'll be a scrappy Cincinnati team because Joe Burrow makes them that right now. I think he will rack up another 300-yard passing game. He's on pace to break Andrew Luck's rookie record in that category. All right. I would not know who Ben DiNucci is if he walked up to me on the street and kicked me in the face. Uh, we're going to find out who Ben DiNucci is because here he is talking about his looming first start Sunday night football against the Eagles. For me, this is a, a, an opportunity of a lifetime. I think, you know, as a rookie, a seventh rounder, I think, you know, coming in, you see Dak and you see Andy at the top of the uh, top of the depth chart. And you're like, hey, there's, there's you know, there's, there's no chance that, you know, I'm going to be on the field this year. But, you know, hey, this is 2020. What else do you expect? Here we are. And uh, week eight of my rookie year, I've got a chance to go out there on Sunday night football and, and do what I love to do. So I, I couldn't be happier and more excited. All right, Peter, Ben DiNucci and the Cowboys can beat the Eagles if what? If Ezekiel Elliott shows up and is the dominant back that everybody says he is. You know, Ezekiel Elliott has not done well for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, fumbling twice against uh, Arizona to help lose that game and to have an awful performance, I thought, on uh, Sunday in Washington. This is the time where Ezekiel Elliott needs to take a game on his shoulders and to, to do everything humanly possible to try to grind out a win against all odds. Uh, you know, look, it, there's no sense in making fun of Ben DiNucci and his, and his history and James Madison and all that. It's just, it's an unfortunate circumstance for the Dallas Cowboys to be playing their third string quarterback. For those who say, oh, the Cowboys, they need to be better suited. They gotta be better ready to survive quarterback injuries. Just stop. Who's got a third string quarterback? They're all Ben DiNucci's. For me, it's a very simple proposition. They will win on Sunday night if the message sent by dumping Don Terry Poe and Daryl Worley actually takes in the locker room. If it doesn't, they won't win. After lighting up the Vikings in week one, Aaron Rodgers will do what this Sunday against the Vikings at Lambeau Field, Peter? Light up the Vikings in week eight. Um, now that he has Devontae Adams and, uh, and he is getting very familiar with the rest of his nobodies, including Robert Tanyan or Tunyon? Is it Fanyan or Funyan, Mike? And and look, he has made, I, I so admire what Aaron Rodgers has done this year because instead of coming in all pissy during the season after they take his successor, who everybody thinks is successor, he has come in and say, hey guys, it's a sunny day, let's go play football. You know, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed with his attitude all season, and I just think they're going to they're gonna beat up the Vikings on Sunday. I agree with you. I think he will have another big day, and I'm surprised that the spread is only seven points because I just don't see the fight in this Vikings team, uh, especially in light of the way they started and coming off of the bye. I think they're just checking boxes until they get to the end of the season. Current state of the Lions at 3-3, three and three, and who were buyers in the trade market for Everson Griffin, the current state of the Lions is what? I mean, they're on, they're basically on the edge of a cliff, like a lot of teams are. You know, they're, and, and I doubt anybody in that locker room says, hey, we're playing for our coach's job. I mean, even though they are, um, I doubt anybody thinks that way. The way I look at the Lions right now is that I was really impressed last week when they hung in hung in hung in got the break at the end and then Matthew Stafford does what he's supposed to do 
have a clutch drive in the fourth quarter, which he's had many of. And to me, I look at them and say, they're going to they're gonna be a threat to be a 500-ish team because they have the capability and they should have the defense to be a 500 team, even though they haven't played at that level so far this year. And even if they should lose on Sunday to the Colts, and I believe they will, but who the hell knows in any given NFL season, the schedule shakes out to 9-7 and seven for the Lions. And with seven playoff berths in the NFC and the AFC this year, maybe that's enough to get them in. And the thing about this, and I know we got to take a break, but the most fascinating thing about that seventh spot, Peter, we are going to have sooner than later a two-seed that doesn't get a week off but that does get a division rival coming to town for the wild card round. And all bets are off when that happens. Now, I don't know that Lions at Packers is going to scare the Packers, but eventually you're going to get one of these two seeds. It gets knocked wobbly by a division rival that isn't intimidated by them. And that seven seed is going to advance. I guess so, but I still, I think the most interesting part of playoff seeding this year is whether some team makes the playoffs and only plays 14 or 15 games. Um, well, and you do the playoffs, you do the playoffs by winning percentage instead of one loss record. That's the thing. I, that, and Mike, the NFL is not out of any woods yet. Been great through eight weeks, relatively speaking, but there's a whole lot of trouble in the last nine weekends of the football season. The deepest, darkest part of the forest is still coming for the NFL with cold and flu season and the thing that keeps high-level executives up at night, the prospect of teams falling out of contention and the players no longer doing everything they need to do to avoid the virus. That is a very real concern. Even though if the games aren't played, the players don't get paid. They're very concerned that the non-contenders will stop doing everything they have to do to stay healthy and safe. All right, let's take a break. Show me something draft for week eight of the 2020 season when PFT Live continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. The research and thoughts that you put into how you structure the practice week, getting back to your time in Green Bay. Given the trend of, of slow starts, is that something that you take a look at, uh, seeing whether or not you tweak how you structure the practice week, or is that something that's off the table? God. Someone didn't like the question, huh? Or... <laughs> that, I just want that, that wasn't me. So, uh, Jesus. It misadventures with mute buttons on Zoom calls, uh, Peter. Uh, that was quite entertaining yesterday. The Cowboys have not given us much entertainment this year. Thank you for that, Mike McCarthy and whoever it was that didn't press his mute button. All right, no mute buttons this segment. Show me something for Week 8. And, Peter, I have a, Mark, a Mike McCarthy-related trivia question for you. Mike McCarthy's brother coached 
which NFL starting quarterback when he was an eighth grade basketball player? Ben DiNucci. Ding. There you go. That's correct. Ben DiNucci. (laughs) Mike, do you know why you asked that question? Because you and I, in the last break, both looked up Ben DiNucci's Wikipedia page, and we saw that about Ben DiNucci. Actually, I asked the question just because it was in the sheet. I didn't look up the Wikipedia page for Ben oh, DiNucci, but maybe darn, I should. Right. Maybe there's well, other, somebody looked maybe that there's up other interesting stuff. <laughs> you, get the first, you get the first pick in uh, the Show Me Something draft. Who you got? Show Me Something, Cam Newton. You have been properly penitent over the last couple of weeks, and you've taken it all on your shoulders, and good for you. That's what a leader does The guys in your locker room, everybody tells me the guys in that locker room love Cam Newton. He's been great. Now he's just got to play great. New England Patriots go to Buffalo. Their season on the line. They haven't been three games under 500 since the Teddy Roosevelt administration. So that's a little bit of a lie. But anyway, I was, Mike, I was, tell me something, Cam Newton. <laughs> I was ready for some scintillating fact I could share with friends and relatives, but no, 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 you were exaggerating. Uh, I thought it was very telling this week when Cam Newton said on WEEI that, yes, you, you don't want the coaches to be upset with you, but the players talk, and he's trying to keep the respect of the locker room. This is his chance to do it. Next one for me, first one for me, technically – Show me something, Ben DiNucci. Let's start right there. This is your chance. Now, Tony Romo was a guy who was undrafted, but he was able to develop for several seasons, able to practice, able to show Bill Parcells something before he was put into a game. DiNucci, no offseason program, limited reps. DiNucci gets a chance to save the Cowboys' season, at least for now, by beating the Eagles and thrusting Dallas into first place. And it was also a Tony Romo debut on Sunday Night Football back in 2006, the first year of NBC's Sunday Night Football. All right, who else uh, you got, Peter? But Mike, Mike, and I'm going to remind you, more than any team in football in this century, the Dallas Cowboys have a history of the nobodies rising up and being great at that position. Undrafted Tony Romo. Uh, And then Dak Prescott, the 135th pick in the draft, after they lose out on Paxton Lynch and the immortal Connor Cook, they have to settle for for, uh, Dak Prescott. So in my opinion, the stage is set. It'd be a great, great story for Ben DiNucci. All right. I hate to just dominate this list with quarterbacks. Show me something to a Tonga Your coach benched a 70% quarterback who's won two weeks in a row by 26 points at San Francisco and then by 24 points against the hapless Jets. That quarterback got benched for you. So you can't come out and lay an egg against the Los Angeles Rams. You've got to figure out how to beat Aaron Donald. I don't care how great he is. And I don't care how good that pass rush is. Pressure right away against a guy. But I think he'll handle it, Mike, because... He's every game he's played. Hasn't he played almost every game when you've got the hot breath of Nick Saban down your neck? I mean, he is in, I think he's in a good position to succeed, but that doesn't mean there isn't a lot of pressure on him on Sunday against the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, adding to the pressure, Joe Burrow, the first pick, Justin Herbert, the sixth pick, both have looked great so far this year. Let's see if Tua looks as great as they do. Next one for me, show me something, Le'Veon Bell. You got what you wanted. You got out of New York. You're in Kansas City. Limited use that first game. Six carries, 39 yards at Denver. Now you're going against the Jets. Show me that you got that fire. Show me that you got that passion. Show me that you still have that ability and show the Jets all at the same time. So let's see what Le'Veon Bell can do this weekend, Peter. Show me something, New Orleans Saints offensive line. Okay, so the Saints have only allowed eight sacks so far this year in six games. That's fantastic. But this week will be the sternest test against the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field. And the Bears knowing that the only way they've got a good chance in this game is if they terrorize Drew Brees. Tremendous pressure, especially either without Michael Thomas or with a damaged Michael Thomas for New Orleans. That offensive line 
has to keep Drew Brees clean on Sunday in Chicago. Show me something Richard Higgins. He said it himself yesterday with OBJ out. He's in the starting lineup now. Well, Richard, you get what you want, and now you got to go out and prove it or you're not going to be in the starting lineup for long. So we're wondering where the football is going to go without OBJ. Let's see what Higgins can do with Jarvis Landry and all the other weapons in Cleveland. So Richard Higgins, show us something this weekend. How can the fourth-round draft choice in Show Me Something before Steelers-Ravens be Lamar Jackson? Shouldn't that be, shouldn't he be picked in the first round? Show me something, Lamar Jackson. You know, it, it, it's a, it's a not entirely a fair narrative, but you have got to start playing great, you know, against the teams that are really tough opponents, especially in your division. Doesn't have, as you talked about earlier, a lot of experience against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But these are the kind of games that Lamar Jackson has to rise to the occasion of, and I don't care if he's got to run it 20 times. They have to figure out a game plan to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers this week. The pressure is on Lamar Jackson. And, and, you know, Peter, I go back to that kryptonite comment, and it may not just be a Chiefs dynamic for the Ravens. It may be a ultra-elite opponent dynamic for the Ravens, whether it's the Titans who had everything going their way in the playoffs the Steelers, who almost beat them last year without Ben Roethlisberger in overtime, the only start Lamar Jackson has against the Steelers. I think this is a much bigger game for him than maybe even he realizes. All right, let's finish round four. Show me something, Nick Foles. Quite simply, if you don't, they may show you the bench. I don't know who else they have floating around other than Mitchell Trubisky, but at some point, Foles has to do something. And he he al- almost beat the Saints. Almost beat the Saints in the playoffs a couple of years ago, but for the Alshon Jeffrey drop, Maybe, indeed, the Eagles would have gotten past New Orleans with Foles playing quarterback. I think the Saints may remember that a little bit. And, the, and, and Foles has got to do something to turn this offense around because it really is languishing. And 5-3 and three could be coming. And 5-4 and four may be around the corner with the Tennessee Titans up next for the Bears. All right, let's take a break. When we return, the trade deadline is right around the corner. Although, for most teams, as a practical matter, it's already passed. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues. There's your weekday lineup on the NBC Sports Channel on Peacock. Begins with PFT Live, then the Dan Patrick Show. Rich Eisen, brother from another PFT PM. On Mondays, it's Safety Blitz. Tuesdays through Fridays, an hour of Chris Sims unbuttoned. Coming up today, Matt Ryan on DP. We'll have Kyle Rudolph on PFT PM at 5 Eastern. And coming up in just four days, an important day for a couple of reasons. One for the NFL, one for the rest of the world. The election, the trade deadline also that day. The trade deadline this year because of COVID, Peter, you touched on it earlier, the urgency that the Ravens had to get Yannick Ngakwe. You got to get these guys in the door. Yesterday was really the last day if you want to have a guy have a full practice week before week nine. So I don't know how much we're going to see between now and Tuesday. What do you think? I really thought, Mike, we would see two or three trades, uh, not just the Carlos Dunlop trade uh, on Wednesday. I thought we would see two or three trades yesterday. We saw none But I think what that means is that most teams are looking at this that, you know, they don't want to add salary this year. Because let's say you trade for a guy, let's say, and and I know one team was very interested in Ryan Kerrigan, uh, the Washington pass rusher, who I think could be a great add for some team. But if you take Ryan Kerrigan, here's what that means. You have to basically pay about five and a half million dollars okay and add that to your cap this year so and it's basically taking away from money that you could you could save in 2021 because if you have money left over this year you can add it on to your number of 175 for next year and so that's why to me i thought you would see more but guys like ryan kerrigan you know, guys like, um, you know, a lot of veteran players, quite honestly, who have big numbers this year. That's why teams are shying away from them. And four teams that don't play week nine. So maybe they're still in play to do a deal. Browns, Bengals, Rams, Eagles. You don't have that same urgency because you're thinking week number 10 anyway. So maybe one of those teams will do something. Maybe there's a receiver that that has that ability to stretch the field that catches the eye of Kevin Stefanski and the Browns, and they try to do something in that regard. But, yeah, I, I think that 
you know, in most years, we build up this anticipation that something's going to happen, and usually nothing really does. I, I just think. But this there year, were 12 the trades part- last year, Mike, and there's 12 trades last year, and it was set up to be a rich trade season this year. And again, maybe it will be, but there's only been five to this point, and so we'll see what happens in the next four days. There's always those names that bubble up that, that end up fizzling out, and it ends up being guys we weren't thinking about who end up being traded, regardless of the total number. That, that, that you know, you get the anticipation, oh, could this guy be traded? And there's all the rumors. Maybe he's going to be traded. Maybe he's going to be traded. And it seems like they can never really quite work it out. And I agree with you. The idea of balancing how much you want to invest in your roster this year versus how much of that cap space you want to be able to carry over to next year so you can do business, that's going to be a factor as well. And also, Peter, look, with seven spots per conference, it's too early for most of these teams to say we're selling off assets. I mean, a lot of these teams are still alive that otherwise would be dead in any other year. I mean, even, you know, except for the Jets, who's really, as a practical matter, done? We saw how quickly the Falcons could turn around their vibe with a win last night. If the Vikings would beat the Packers on Sunday at Green Bay, all of a sudden they're feeling different. And maybe, maybe it's this one more week of games that will cause some of these teams to start making phone calls, even if it doesn't mean another team getting the benefit of that player come Sunday of next week. Assuming the Eagles win this game against Dallas on Sunday night, I would expect Howie Roseman, you're right, Mike, with a bye the following week to make 48 phone calls in the next 20, next 48 hours uh, because Howie Roseman is a guy who doesn't uh, shy away from making any deals. And I'm not saying he's the type of guy who says, I'll worry about the 2021 cap next year. But I think if he sees that his team is capable of turning it around, and he thinks maybe that Kevin Zeitler or he he can go get a good offensive lineman somewhere and rent him for the last nine weeks of the season, eight weeks, I wouldn't put it past him at all. And this team has a history of getting hot late in the year. 2017, when Carson Wentz was gone and everybody thought they were done, they win the Super Bowl. 2018, he gets hurt again. Everybody thinks they're done. They get within a whisker of the Final Four. Last year, 5-7, and seven, they put the foot on the gas. They win the division. And if Carson Wentz doesn't suffer that concussion, maybe they win then. So the Eagles are one of the few teams where you could say there's value, Peter, in going all in. And there's value, Mike, in saying goodbye on a Friday. It's been wonderful with you today. Well, it's been great with you as well. Everyone, enjoy the weekend. 5 p.m. Eastern, PFT p.m. Kyle Rudolph joins us. Hopefully you will, too. Otherwise, have a great day. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.